Today's passage is from Leviticus 10, verses 1 to 20. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. But the breast is that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place. You and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten this sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anna, for leading us uh, by reading so well for us, and Aaron for leading us in worship, and the worship team as well. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we see God's help to understand His word this morning? 
Lord, we pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit and take your word and write it upon our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, have you ever thought of worship as a dangerous thing? Have you ever thought of worship as a dangerous thing? You see, friends, many of us raised in the church think of worship as singing some songs, saying some prayers, and hearing some messages. So how in the world can worship be a dangerous thing? Well, you see, friends, the Bible defines worship not as simply doing these things, but entering into the very presence of a holy God. And as sinful people, that's a very dangerous thing. In fact, we see here in Leviticus chapter 10 that if it isn't done properly, people actually die. Now, if you think that's the Old Testament, surely now in the New Testament, with the coming of Jesus Christ, worship is no longer dangerous. Let me remind you that in the book of Acts chapter 5, an upstanding couple in the church, Ananias and Sapphira, were struck dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, the Apostle Paul says that some who are partaking in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner were weak and ill, and some had even died. Why, friends? Well, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25, Paul the Apostle defines worship as God being really among you. It is a dangerous thing, my friends, for sinful people to be in the presence of a holy God. Great care is needed. And that is why, even in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 28 says this, Offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Worship, my friends, is a dangerous thing. When it's not done properly, it can even lead to death. And yet, my friends, as we've discovered in the book of Leviticus, worship is exactly what our souls need. God is the source of our lives. He is the creator. And as we come to him in worship and enter his presence, we are renewed, restored, and we're given all that we need to live life. So we need worship on the one hand, but on the other hand, worship is a dangerous thing that could even kill us if it's not done properly. And that, my friends, is why we have Leviticus 10. In Leviticus 10, God gives us three characteristics of the kind of worship that doesn't just not kill us. It's the kind of worship that will bring us into deep communion with the holy God, even though we are sinners. It's the kind of worship that will give our hearts what we're longing for and will fill us to the full. It's a worship, number one, that's regulated by God, revering of God and resting in the heart. Regulated by God, revering of God and resting in the heart. Come with me to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. It says here, Now Adab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered an authorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now, Dadab and Abihu, friends, were the oldest children of Aaron's four sons. We see that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 23. In Exodus 24, verse 1, 
Both of them had accompanied Aaron and the 70 elders to worship God from a distance at Mount Sinai. These were not those that were unfamiliar with the worship of God. They would have heard God's command in Exodus chapter 30, verse 9, to not offer unauthorized incense. In Leviticus chapter 8, verse 30, a passage that Pastor Joel covered for us a few weeks ago, we see that there were two of five who were duly ordained as priests set apart for the worship of God. In other words, friends, you do not have two naive young men here. You have two well-trained adults, two priests, who knew exactly what God expected of them. And yet, verse 1 says, they offered up unauthorized fire in the worship of God. Now, friends, scholars debate the actual nature of this unauthorized fire. It could be that they took the fire from an unauthorized source. Instead of the altar, they took it from the kitchen. It could also be that they were introducing a pagan rite into the worship of the true and living God. You see, the burning of incense was part of the pagan worship of the day. And perhaps they were borrowing one of these rites and introducing it to the worship of God. Well, friends, whatever the exact nature of the unauthorized fire, the crux of the issue is given to us in verse 1. It tells us that this was not commanded by the Lord. You see, friends, if you scan Leviticus 8 and 9, the ordination of the priests and the first worship service, you will see a phrase that's repeated over and over again. They did as the Lord commanded. They did as the Lord commanded. And this is repeated eight times. In Leviticus 8, verse 4, verse 9, verse 13, verse 17, verse 21, and verse 29, and Leviticus chapter 9, verse 7 and 10. When we get to Leviticus 10, verse 1, this stands in stark contrast to all that we have seen in Leviticus 8 and 9. In Leviticus 8 and 9, they did everything as the Lord commanded. But right here, as they offered up unauthorized fire, they did what the Lord had not commanded. And from this passage, we learn that worship that doesn't kill us, worship that truly fills our hearts, is worship that is regulated by God himself. It's worship that is defined by God's word. Friends, it's not worship that arises out of our whims, out of our fancies, out of our traditions, out of our preferences. It's worship that God himself wants and has told us that he wants. Now, friends, think along with me. Let's say there's a guy in our church, and he's looking for a wife. He has some criteria in his mind about who this should be. In fact, he has a very good ideal about who this person should be. He comes to church, and in one of the gatherings, he meets a beautiful girl. His heart goes aflutter. They fall for each other, and they decide to explore whether they should be with one another. Now, here's the problem. This girl that this guy meets is completely different from the girl that he has in his mind. All of the ideals and the characteristics and the, the things that he wanted, he doesn't see in her. But he likes her, and she likes him. Now, friends, the appropriate thing to do is to treat her as a human being, to lay aside all of those presuppositions as to what a wife should be, 
And to discover this person for who she is, and for her to discover this person for who he is, and to decide if they should take that relationship further. Now, friends, think along with me if he doesn't do that. Instead, he says to himself at the back of his mind, my criteria are so important. She doesn't meet my criteria, but they are so important. What I'm going to do is I'm going to shape her into what I want of her. Now, friends, you can see how sinister that is. By the way, if you meet somebody like this, please run far, far away. He's probably a narcissistic psychopath. Okay. We see how sinister that is. But when it comes to Nadab and Abihu, that's exactly what they're doing with God. You multiply that a million times, and that is exactly what they're doing with God. God, the true being, the greatest being of the universe, comes and says, this is who I am, and this is how you are to worship me. But instead of worshiping God on his terms and relating to him as he's revealed himself in his word, Nadab and Abihu project and try to shape God into their own image. And that is why this is such a disastrous and sinister thing. You see, friends, the word of God reveals to us the heart of God. It reveals to us who God is. And in worship, we're not relating just to a figment of our imagination. We are relating to the true and living God. And therefore, we must allow him to show us what he is like and how we are to approach him. Nadab and Abihu did not do this. They worshiped God according to their own whims and fancies and preferences and perhaps even traditions. They projected their image of who God should be rather than accepting God on his terms from his word. And as a result, verse 2 says, fire came down and consumed them. Worship, my friends, is a dangerous thing. They did not worship God according to what God desired, and they died as a result. So friends, worship that doesn't kill us, that fills our hearts, number one is worship that's regulated by God's word, because God's word shows us who God really is. Secondly, friends, we see in this passage that worship that doesn't kill us and fills our hearts is worship that is revering of God. Look at verse 3. You see, Aaron is so shocked by what has happened to his sons that he goes to Moses and he's trying to gain some kind of explanation for what has happened. And Moses says this to Aaron in verse 3. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. Put another way, what God is saying to Aaron through Moses is this, I must be regarded as holy among those who draw near to me, and I must be honored in the presence of the whole people. What he's saying to Aaron is simply this, your sons who really did know better, did not treat me as holy. They did not honor me. They did not revere me. In other words, friends, they treated God lightly. And how does Aaron respond? Look at verse 3. It says, he held his 
peace. Yes, it was incredibly sad that his sons had died, his two beloved sons. But as he heard the word of God, he knew that they deserved what they got. He agrees with God, even though these were his two precious sons. Now, friends, in verses 4 to 7, Moses then tells Aaron's cousins to remove the body. He tells Aaron's and his remaining sons, you can't do that. In fact, verse 6, you're not even to mourn for Nadab and Abihu. The rest of the people can mourn, but you can't. Why, friends? Well, verse 7 says they're not to go outside because the anointing oil of the Lord is upon them. You see, friends, they had been set apart by the anointing oil to serve as priests, to carry out the sacrifices on the eighth day. And those sacrifices had not yet been completed. And so Aaron and his remaining sons were not to mourn at that moment. Maybe later they could, but not at that moment because they were still needed to complete the sacrifices of God. Friends, there's a tinge of grace here because in spite of such grievous sin, God is still making a way for his people to be in his presence. And as he is doing this, he's teaching all of us that to revere God means that God must always come first in our lives. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 59 to 60, Jesus calls one of his disciples and says, follow me. But the person replies, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, you would expect Jesus, gentle and loyal, you would say, of course, of course, please go and mourn your father, go and bury him. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, leave the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, friends, Jesus is not saying to this man, don't love your father. He's not even saying, don't mourn for your father. But what Jesus is saying to this man is that the kingdom of God and the proclamation of the gospel must come first over and above even your love for your father. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. My friends, once again, Jesus is not saying you shouldn't love and respect your parents or your children. In fact, he tells us elsewhere to love, to care for our parents, and to honor our, to honor our parents and to love our children. But what he is saying is that he is of such great worth that you must love him over and above your love for even your parents and your children. My friends, I just want to say to you, I adore my children. I love them to bits. I would die for them. I spent many hours trying to get Taylor Swift tickets for one of them <laughs> and failed. <laughs> I love them so much. But friends, if I truly love my children, the best thing I can do for them is to love God and to serve God more than them. Why, my friends? 
You see, friends, if I merely show them affection and love without truth, I'm not truly loving them. You see, friends, when I love God and I serve God supremely, I'm saying to them through my actions and my words that love and truth matter. I love you and adore you, but there's a truth that you need to know. And the truth is, you are not the center of the world and you cannot always have everything you want. And more than that, my love for you is not all that you need because the center of the world is God and the savior of the world is Jesus. And when I love God and I love Jesus and I serve God, and I serve Jesus above my love for them and above my service for them, I'm saying to them that my love for them is deficient. It's a humbling thing. But the thing that will truly satisfy them, the thing that will truly give them meaning and purpose and direction in life is to love God as I love God and to serve God as I serve God. Friends, worship that doesn't kill you is worship that reveres God as the greatest being in the entire universe that is desiring of our highest worship and our greatest praise. And that in the long run, friends, is good for the other loves in our lives. In verse 9 to 10, God speaks to Aaron directly. And God gives Aaron instructions for the priest. In verse 9, God says, drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. Why? Well, verse 10 tells us because they are to distinguish. The role of the priest is to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And verse 11 says their role is also to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them. And from these verses, we get a better understanding of Nadab and Abihu's infraction. You see, friends, many Bible commentators tell us that they were stone cold drunk when they offered up unauthorized fire. They were drunk, and therefore, their inhibitions were reduced and their judgment was flawed, and they did what they were not supposed to do. Now, friends, this is not a complete prohibition of the use of alcohol. Because in Exodus 29.40 and Numbers 28.14, wine is made available for the priests as part of the offerings. So the priests themselves could have a drink while they're off duty. What was prohibited was for them to have a drink and to compromise their faculties when they were serving God in the tabernacle. Now, John Calvin puts it this way. Wine is, a very wholesome, is very wholesome as one of our means of nutriment. But by the too free use of it, many enervate their strength, becloud their understanding, and almost stupefy all their senses so as to make themselves inactive. Friends, God is not prohibiting the use of alcohol per se, but he is saying 
that we have to be incredibly careful in its use, especially when we're engaged in the things of God, especially when we're engaged in the holy things of worship. Now, friends, if I've been out drinking all Saturday night and I step into the pulpit on Sunday morning, you can be sure that what I'm bringing you isn't the Holy Spirit. It's some other spirit, but it isn't the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, if you've been out drinking all Saturday night and you come to worship on Sunday morning, can I ask you not to blame the preacher or the music team for putting you to sleep? You see, friends, to revere God in worship is to give him our attention. And that, too, is an expression of our love, to make sure that our faculties are in a place where we can hear his word and understand his word and be in his presence because his presence really is that precious and it really is what we need. That too, my friends, is revering God in worship. But finally, friends, that's not all that worship is because finally we see in this passage that worship is resting in the heart. Now, friends, Moses is understandably concerned that the remaining priests carry out the sacrifices and worship of God appropriately. They had ordained five priests. Two of them were killed. There were three left. Moses wants to be so careful that they do all that God has said to them in his word. And so in verses 12 to 15, he reminds Aaron and his sons to eat the portions of the offerings that are due them. Verse 15, as the Lord commanded. You see, friends, the sacrifices are only completed when the priests have eaten the due. Now, Moses is so concerned that they obey exactly because of what he had seen in Nadab and Abihu, then in verse 16, he checks up on them. Have you eaten? Have you done everything according to the Lord's commandments? And lo and behold, horror of all horrors, they haven't. In verse 17, it says they burnt up the goat of the sin offering instead of eating it. They were meant to eat as the Lord commanded. But instead of eating, they burnt it up. Verse 16 says Moses was angry with Eliezer and Ithamar. You see, as you read this passage, you've got to be thinking in your mind, oh my goodness, is the fire of God going to come down again and consume them for this infraction? But strangely, no. Why? Well, look at verse 19. Aaron explains their actions. He says, they, referring to Nadab and Abihu, had offered the sin offering and the burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things happened to me. You see, although Aaron could not mourn outwardly, he was not distant. He felt the pain of having two of his sons consumed by the fire of God. You know what this means? It means that he is not eating because he is not revering and honoring God, but precisely because he is. Look at verse 20. When Moses heard it, he approved. 
Aaron says, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And here we find another aspect of worship that doesn't kill us. You see, friends, when Nadab and Abihu offered up unauthorized fire, they weren't just being irreverent in their actions. They weren't just drunk. They were irreverent in their hearts. They did not honor and revere God in their hearts. Aaron and his remaining sons, although they didn't eat, did so not out of rebellion, but out of a good conscience because they did continue to revere God in their hearts. One commentator put it this way, Aaron had acted in responsible sincerity. The heart attitude is more important than the mechanics of all the sacrifices. So friends, worship that doesn't kill you is regulated by scripture, by God himself. It's reverent and it's resting in the heart. It's not just honoring God through your external actions and words and traditions. It's revering and honoring and loving God from the heart. And so friends, Leviticus 10 has one question for each and every one of us today. Where is your heart before God? You can be going through all of the motions, but do you truly revere him? And do you truly love him from the heart? That is the kind of worship that will not kill us and the kind of worship that really fills us with the person of God himself. And here's the thing, friends. To get to the true heart of worship doesn't mean that we need to work it up somehow. No, friends, to get to the true heart of worship, we need to look to Jesus. That Jesus has said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one who regulates worship. He's saying there's only one way that you can come, and it's through me. And this is the same Jesus who was the true and greater priest. He revered God, Jesus, both in his actions and in his heart. He was perfect in all that he did in his worship of Almighty God. And yet... This Jesus, this true and greater high priest, was consumed by the fire of God's judgment, not for his infractions and his sins like Nadab and Abihu, but for your infractions and my infractions and our sins for all the times that we have not worshipped God as God. For all the times that we have not revered him and honored him both with our actions and with our hearts, Jesus, the true and greater high priest, gave his life in our place. And friends, that's why in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, We, God's people, as a holy priesthood, we can only offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's why 
in Romans 6, verse 17, it says that those of us who were once slaves to sin have now become obedient from the heart to God. It's only through Jesus, my friends, our true and greater high priest who gave his life for us that we can worship God, not only in a way that doesn't kill us, but that deeply fulfills us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, not just as individuals, but as a church, and we say to you, Lord, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for the times that we have not worshipped you as you have desired for us to worship you, but we have come before you and worshipped you because of our traditions and our preferences and our whims and our fancies. We pray today, Father, that you work in all of our hearts to see that you have revealed yourself clearly in your word, and we must come to you truthfully and really and lovingly on the basis of your word. Forgive us also for the times, Lord, that we have not revered you, both in our actions and in our affections. We thank you, Lord, that you have given your son, Jesus, the true high priest who bore our sins on the cross, who was consumed by your judgment so that we who deserve that judgment may be free to worship and find fulfillment and joy in you. We pray, Father, that from this day forward, we will never, ever take worship for granted, but come before you as a community, as a body, with great expectation that you will speak to us, that you will meet us, that you will forgive us, that you would fill us, and that you would show us your glory. We can know that we know that this is all ours, only in Christ, in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hand the time back to Eric.